Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Nicole Clark. She is a best-selling author and a spiritual guide. Last, but certainly not least, she's a mama. Welcome, Nicole. I am so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Brad? I'm so glad to be here. I am doing very well. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I am really excited to jump in and go on this journey with you, sharing about your life, your story, your journey, and all the beautiful light you put out into the world through the work you do. With that being said, let's jump in. As I mentioned, you are a best-selling author, a spiritual guide, and last but certainly not least, you're a mom to six children. Now, that in itself is the biggest and most important job, of course, which also most definitely, I would say, requires the most attention and a lot of juggling, especially when you throw into the mix entrepreneurship. How do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? Oh, man. Loaded question. I've become very good at multitasking and making sure that I put everything on my Google calendar or else I forget it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the stage now of motherhood, though, where it's pretty easy because most of my kids are in school all the time. The summer obviously has just started for us, so that's a little different. But I'm pretty lucky in that I have most mornings all to myself to be able to then that's where I do my business stuff. And then I can have all afternoon and evening for my family. So it makes it pretty easy. Beautiful. Now, with wearing the multiple hats, I'd love to know what does your morning routine look like? Like once the kids are off and settled, what does your morning routine look like? That depends on the day and what time I wake up. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be one of those people that wake up righteously or religiously to a certain alarm and everything. But now I just let my body do what it needs to do. And I know that I can make up for that time when my kids are at school. If I miss my normal routine is to wake up way before they do. And I make it a point to meditate for at least an hour and a half to two hours every morning. Oh, wow. And then I also like to do yoga on the days that I'm really on the ball. (laughs) Yeah. But if I miss it before I wake them up, then I just do it when they go off to school. Like I drop them off and come home and I meditate. That's my biggest priority every day is to make sure that I get into my own, I guess, place of bliss, (laughs) place of connection with myself, because from there, everything else just falls into place. And I don't have to worry about prioritizing anything else because I've done the most important thing for me, for my health, for I think my community, Yeah, (laughs) the butterfly effect. That's the most positive thing I could do is just meditate and really get into a positive, neutral place. An hour and a half to two hours every day. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it didn't used to be like that. I used to be okay with 10 to 20 minutes, but 
I don't know, probably since February of this year, I've made it at least an hour and a half every day. Takes a while to work up to that. That's for sure. I do about (laughs) anywhere from 10 minutes to half an hour. And yeah, I would imagine that takes quite a bit of self-discipline and practice to get up to an hour and a half a day to two hours. Yeah, what I've learned is that it takes my monkey mind a good hour to shut up. (laughs) I'm not one of those fortunate people who can just get right into the zone. It takes me a while. And and so what I realized is all those years that I was doing it just for 10, 30 minutes, it was great and I liked it. But now I can really get into this place where I'm receiving serotonin in my brain and I can feel it and I just feel the shift. But it takes me a good hour at least to get there. Ah, There we go. (laughs) Maybe I'll get better with time, but we'll see. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure you will. Nicole, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Hmm, That's a great question. I think just this inner desire to expand and increase what I have. I think all of us... I think at a soul level, that's what we all like to do is to expand and grow. And so I think that's just what my human likes as well is let's see how the boundaries, how much can I push them and become better every day? And some days I don't like some days my way of being better is just to be as lazy as possible because I think that's important too. As you said at the beginning in the first question there is listening to your body. So if your body's telling you to sleep, then you listen and you do that, right? That's very key is to listen to our bodies and what our bodies are telling us. Absolutely. And it's not something that comes easy sometimes. (laughs) I think so many of us are really ignoring our bodies most of the time and not tuning in. And that's where disease and illness and mental health and all that stuff comes from. We're so conditioned, right? To just, we got to get up and we got to do the things. We got to cross the things off our to-do list. We got all this stuff to do and on instead of listening to our bodies when our bodies tell us, okay, Nicole, you need to slow down just take some time for you. It's hard to get into that mindset and to actually start listening to our bodies. But like you said, if we don't, this is when disease starts to set in and illness and mental health issues and all of these things. So we'd be far better off listening to our bodies for sure. Exactly. And sometimes I've found, at least personally, that when I take the time to listen to my body and if it's saying to take a nap or to just sit and do nothing for a little bit. Yeah. That somehow energizes me and gives me the ability to do all the other tasks much more efficiently and and quickly and with more clarity so that I'm not just forcing something, but I'm allowing it to happen and receiving answers. And it just comes so much easier when my body's in the same place as my body. Naps are a good thing. And getting out into nature and going for a walk and just getting fresh air. Those are all wonderful things. Absolutely. Nicole, what were you doing for a living before making the jump into entrepreneurship? I was a stay-at-home mom. I've <laughs> been a stay-at-home mom for 20 years. I still consider myself that's my biggest thing. Most of my business stuff is just me doing fun things on the side. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm full-blown making all the money or anything. I, I do that because I love it and that's yeah. what lights me up. And I think it's very important for us as humans to focus on the fun, to focus on the things that light us up and that bring us joy. And oftentimes that entails what helps the bigger picture, what helps other people, what helps our community. When we're really tapped into our soul and doing our soul work, I feel like it always has something to do with helping others or helping the bigger picture or the community. But there are so many people out there, though, who don't get the opportunity to do what they love. So what do you say to that? There are a lot of people out there stuck in jobs they hate, the nine to fives, and they don't 
have the time to find what lights them up or sets their soul on fire, or they don't, let's rephrase that, they don't make the time to figure out what sets their soul on fire. Because I guess part of it is it's a matter of prioritization. I think that's one of our sole purposes to find what lights us up, to find what makes us happy. We're not put on this earth just to work at a nine to five and go, we need to, like you said, have some fun while we're here because we're only here for a short time. So why not find the thing that sets your soul on fire and makes you happy? Exactly. Actually, one of the quotes from my first book, it says, I just learned this personally as a time. You have time for what you make time for. All of us have the same amount of time. It's just like we all have the same amount of air. It's available and it's the most important commodity that each of us is given. And yet so many of us feel stuck or like we have to show up for a nine to five job that we hate. We have to do this in order to survive or whatever. But when you shift your mindset and say, I can show up for myself too. I can show up and do the things that I love. And when I do that, when I make myself a priority and I put my own needs and wants and desires and things that I love first, all the other stuff becomes so much better. You can show up filled up rather than screaming and angry and feeling resentful about your job. If you can show up and just take the time to take care of you and your needs, everything else just shifts and the whole world shifts when you put yourself as a priority. And so honestly, everyone has time. They just don't realize it. They're using their time in ways that feel like they have to. But for me, a rule in my life is anytime I feel like I should or I have to or I need to do something, that's a red flag. It's something that's coming not from soul, but from my ego or from the conditioning of, of society. And I can step back and say, do I really have to do that? Or can I choose to do something that makes me feel good inside first. And then I can choose whether or not I have to do that anymore. And then you can reframe it as actually I get to do that. It's an opportunity to work or to provide for my family or to take my kids to this, whatever. And when we reframe those little words of I have to, I get to, that also changes the whole perspective of it and makes us more grateful instead of resentful. That tiny little tweak in languaging mm-hmm. and the words we use. And then also, again, this is again speaking to listen to your body. As you said, when you get that feeling of I have to do this or whatever those things are, listen to your body. That's a red flag for you. So you reframe it and look at it differently. It's just Absolutely. a tiny little shift, but it takes a lot of mind power and listening to your body and getting into that mindset to be aware. It takes a lot of self-awareness. That's the word I was looking for. 100%. And that's something I go really deep into in my first book is the language that we use really determines so much of how we feel about any given situation. And when we can just simply tweak it, it's literally just rewriting or rescripting our lives in the moment and making us turn from somebody who's angry and feeling self-sacrificing and and just, oh, I don't want to do this to maybe actually this is an opportunity to learn and grow and become better. And (laughs) this could be a good thing for me. It's just so easy. And yet it's so difficult at the same time. It's one of those, there's tension between changing the words in our minds. And if we could just switch it, it's like turn on a light switch. It makes such a big difference in our mental health and in just the way we show up in the world. And I just really am grateful that I I started studying NLP or neuro-linguistic programming 
And that's where I learned that these little tiny shifts in the way that we see things, like our brains, our subconscious minds see in pictures. And so if you really want to start changing the way that you view things or the way you feel about things, pay attention to the pictures that pop up in your mind when you're thinking about something. When you're saying, I have to, you're usually not feeling very excited about it. It's a stressful thing. I have to, I need to, I, I must, I should. Those all cause stress in our body. And when you, again, it's back to listen to your body and reframe it, just tweaking the words, everything shifts in a moment and you can just see, oh, maybe I I can choose not to do that at this very moment. Maybe I can wait. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such a tiny little thing, but yet it's so hard to wrap our minds around it. It seems like it's just massive, but it really is a very small little thing, just tweaking those words and that languaging that we use in the way we speak to ourselves. And again, I'm seeing a thread here, Nicole, listen to your body. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know that's where we were going today, but apparently- (laughs) I guess that's where we are. We just just roll with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my whole first book, it's called The 10-Minute Refresh for Moms and How to Have Less Stress and More Joy. And I give 10 tips that literally take 10 minutes or less. And it's, again, the tiny things, tiniest things that make a huge difference over time. It's basically, if you've ever heard of compound interest, make one little investment and over time, incrementally, it it just grows and grows until all of a sudden it's exponential. And these minor shifts have changed the entire way you view the world or the way you feel about yourself. And it's amazing. That's a great analogy, the compound interest. I just recently in the last few months learned, I have heard of compound interest, but I really just learned about it and how it works just very recently. And it is incredible just how you stack those things on top of one another. And over time, it grows and grows till you have this huge thing. It's the same thing with your languaging. Little habits that you keep doing, keep repeating, it just becomes second nature. And then you just act as that. And lo and behold, you've changed over time to where you need to be. Yeah. And oftentimes that change, like you wouldn't notice it. <laughs> the little things you don't notice right away. And some yeah. of them you do notice right away. Yeah. The whole mindset thing happens instantly. But some of these changes require time. And over time, they just get so much bigger that you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, look how far yeah. I went. Like, yeah. What? And that's another thing that I would like your audience to realize when you look back and give yourself credit for how far you've come and celebrate those little steps that you've taken and recognize that all those little baby things, while they didn't seem very big in the moment, like sending that one email today, that's all I did, or I just did one podcast today, that doesn't matter. Over time, those incrementally are compounding the interest (laughs) and giving you ROI over time that if you just take one step every day or even just one step a week, it's better than not taking any steps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, as speaking to, I love that you mentioned the fact about celebrating our wins because we don't do that because we're so caught up as we spoke about already. We're so caught up in the to do and we've got to get this done. And I got to do again, speaking with the languaging, I have to do this. I have to do this, cross this off the list, cross, that off the list. We don't take the time to slow down and see how far we've come and celebrate that win each day or each week or each month, whatever it is. But we need to celebrate those things because not only is that an accomplishment for us, but it also, when we celebrate our wins, it gives others in our community who we surround ourselves with the permission to celebrate their wins as well. Absolutely. And at the same time, when we celebrate even the smallest things, it also retrains our brain 
and we receive serotonin or dopamine and we feel really good when yes. we celebrate something. And that makes us crave more of that, which actually unintentionally gives us the motivation to keep going and achieve more yeah. <laughs> and keep going with our goals when sometimes we'd want to give up or just say, I haven't yeah. made it anywhere. When we can stop and just be grateful for how far we've gone, even if it's failing. I was listening to a podcast the other day saying, this guy, this, I don't even know who he is, but apparently he has like 15 bestsellers on New York Times. <laughs> like, oh, I should probably know who he is, but I don't. Yes. But anyway, he, one of his main points was that he is so much more grateful for all the failures that he's had in his business and in his entrepreneurship yeah. than he even is for the successes because without them, he wouldn't be who he is and wouldn't have learned what he is. So even celebrating the failures, yes. celebrating the times when I made a mistake, oh, I didn't do that. Yeah. Oh, I just wasted all that money. It's never a waste because it's honestly giving us experience, giving us knowledge. It's teaching us something. Maybe don't do this next time. That's right. That's right. Better. And we're always learning. And it doesn't matter if it's through a failure or through a win, both matter and both. Yeah. Are there are lessons in those failures. And I think that this is an important piece too, in terms of entrepreneurship. And I've talked about this many times, but entrepreneurship is almost in my opinion, at least on social media, it's glamorized and romanticized. And we don't talk about the other side of it, the failures or the lessons that we learn through those failures. It's always about, oh, look at how great my life is. Look at, I'm living in this mansion. I'm li I have all this money. And let's talk about the other side of things too. Let's talk about the other side of entrepreneurship. Solopreneurship can be very lonely at times. And I think we need to talk about that stuff. We need to have those conversations so that people are aware who are stepping into entrepreneurship or just stepping into entrepreneurship are aware that, you know what, it's not all puppy dogs, rainbows and ice cream. It's not that way all the time. <laughs> it can't be. There is another side to this, but it's good to have that other side as well because it's a balance and checks, right? So you learn from those failures, from those lessons. You take the lessons from those. And as long as you continue to pick yourself up after those failures, that's all that matters and try again. Absolutely. And I, oh my goodness, it's so ingrained in our society to compare and to compete. And when all we see on Instagram or anywhere else is this, I made a million dollars this month. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's like the glamorized side yes. of entrepreneurship, yeah. right? They're yeah. all like posting their big numbers or their big wins. And oftentimes people who are especially just starting in business compare that and say, oh my goodness. Or even people like me who have been doing it for five or six years, you start I'm where to you like, are. I'm, I'm failing because I don't have that much income coming yeah. in. And it's not true because honestly, we don't know what that person had to go through to get That's to where right. they are. And most times they don't tell it. They don't no. tell the bad stuff. They That's don't tell saying. that they've been doing it for 15 stuff. years or they don't share that they have a team doing most of the work for yeah. them. And we're sitting here doing it ourselves and feeling, I can't do all that that fast. Like, how do they do it? And the honest truth is that it can be very hard it and can. very lonely. And most of us don't know what we're doing most of the time. That's right. You're <laughs> we're just right. learning as we go. We're yeah. failing forward. <laughs> yep. That's it. And it's so important to just be honest and vulnerable and share the whole story because yes. so many of us have the highlight reel. Yeah. And it's just not true. It's and it not makes that way. People feel bad. I think that if we had more vulnerability and rawness in our society as a, in general, not yeah. just entrepreneurship, but the highlight reels of our lives, like my family's perfect or yeah. <laughs> well, beautiful job and all that. If we could just be real and say, actually, today's really hard. Like being a mom yeah. is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And you could just share the good and the bad. It makes, That's right. It makes it 
more comfortable for other people to realize that, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I'm not the only one that's suffering this way. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? We, we got us. I was stuck in that mindset. It took me two year, almost two years, to get out of that headspace, and it was a struggle. It's very tough, but I think once you get out of it, that's not to say that once you get past it, it's never going to creep in again. Of course, it is. It, we're human beings. It happens, but it gets a little bit easier to deal with and get yourself back to the space where you're out of that mindset. Yeah. And I was just listening to Alex Ferrari yesterday. I don't know if you know him from Next Level Soul, but he was talking about, he's a movie producer and has interviewed over 800 celebrities and people that are big wigs in the industry. And one point that he made that really stuck out was that even the most famous of actors, every single one that he's talked to has imposter syndrome at some point, even if they're the highest of the height of their game, they still feel like, I'm going to be found out. Somebody's going to realize that I'm not the real thing. And it's just something in our culture that's just embedded yeah. within us to feel like somehow we have to be better. <laughs> somehow we're not quite measuring up. It's just what I think is that there's this epidemic. It's way stronger and more prevalent than even COVID is that we are in this society of not enoughness. We constantly yeah. feel like we are not enough. And honestly, for me, getting past that and going within and realizing that not only am I enough, I'm more than enough and just showing up as me every day, the whole package, (laughs) the good, the bad, the ugly and accepting all of it is such a game changer. If I could tell the world anything and give one message, it would be that if you could remember who you are and really get back to your core your inner knowing, the factory settings that you came here with, as a mate, <laughs> then you would not feel the need to compare or compete or feel like an imposter because you would know that you came here with something special and unique that was just yours, that only you can share with the world. Nobody else can be Brad, not Brad Walsh. That's <laughs> it's only right. you, baby. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm the only one that can show up as me. And it's such a beautiful blessing when we can step into our own skin and, and embody our being. And that's what we are. We are human beings. And most of the times we're sitting here focusing on human doings. Yes. Trying to do so much to prove ourselves, to become something different. I like to say that we are all masterpieces and works in progress at the same time, that we all came here whole and complete and perfect. And over time, we were just bombarded with programming from every corner and subliminal messages and people telling us that we had to do something or schooling just telling us that we had to get certain grades in order to be good enough. And when you step out from that and say, actually, I came here with everything I needed to be happy, whole and complete. And when we can get back to that place, that's what I do in meditation every day. Nothing else matters. Factory reset. I fucking love it, Nicole. That's amazing. (laughs) This is it. This is it right here. All of this stuff you're saying, it's so true. We, We did come here with everything we possibly need. And over time, we have been jaded. We have been, like you said, bombarded with conditioning, all the shit. And so if we can remember to factory reset, as you said, or get back to what we were, but how do you do that? How can people do that? There's the loaded question. Yes. (laughs) Right? It's actually a lot easier than you'd think. Okay. And really, it just basically comes down to loving yourself and accepting all of you. Uh, And self-love has a bad rap in today's industry where people are like, just go get some bubble bath and go eat some breakfast (laughs) and go out for dinner and do the things you love. And yes, that has a place in self-love, obviously. Sure. But that's the external part. There's so much more and deeper. That's like the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah. And you can go really deep and learn to connect with and love and accept your inner child. 
the part of you who became submissive because you were taught to be small. You were taught you were supposed to be quiet and children were to be seen and not heard. Or the part of you who was taught like me as a little girl that being a woman in this patriarchal society in the way that I was raised, I had to dress a certain way so that I didn't mess with boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Didn't give them the wrong thoughts. And I had to hold back my truth or question my truth, doubt my truth, doubt my gut because the church leaders or my parents were telling me something different. And so I learned to be silent and to be quiet. And what happened over time as an adult, I became really sick. I had a breathing problem for years and I didn't know what it was. And I finally realized after learning about the chakras, I went to a Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat for meditation and learned that the throat chakra, which is where my problem was, represents one's ability to speak their truth. And for years, I wasn't speaking my truth because I was told that it was wrong and bad and sinful. (laughs) If my truth wasn't the same as what the authority figures in my life were saying, then I was the one that was wrong and I should doubt myself. And so now I'm at that place where I left religion and I can so trust my own gut and know that I have my own back. And I've done so much inner inner child work, shadow work, whatever you want to call it, reprogramming my subconscious mind. I've been doing it for the past four years. It's taken a while because there's layers. There's so many layers. Yeah. I like to think of us each like a flower. A lot of people use the onion analogy with all the layers, but yeah. I like it more as a flower because we're all beautiful and we smell good and all that. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of layers, but we're all opening up at different times and different layers open up at different times. And they are what make us beautiful and unique and needed in this world. And so when we can go down into each layer and say, oh, there was a time that I learned to to not love myself because I thought that I was not good enough for this person or these people rejected me. So I learned this about myself. When you can go down and rewrite that and get to a place of wholeness and recognizing that I might not be for everyone, but I'm certainly for me. (laughs) It makes a massive difference in the way that somebody shows up and remembers who they are. Well said, Nicole. I love this conversation. It's so powerful and incredible. I love this. How long have you been a spiritual guide, Nicole? And what exactly do you do as a spiritual guide? What does that entail or involve? I would say I've done it off and on for the last three or four years. It became more of my first book I published in 2019 after my sixth child was born. And I loved coaching moms, like just helping them get through a bad day and making those resets of their framework of their minds and everything. And then in 2020, my youngest daughter, who I'd been waiting for eight years to have, passed away unexpectedly and tragically in our backyard. And she drowned in our pool. And from there, my entire life changed. (laughs) My, My entire spiritual awakening just exponentially blew up and got to this point where I had so many questions and I needed answers. And Fortunately, I was able to learn how to channel my daughter after that. And from there, I feel like she was my guide. And together we had made a soul contract to write a book together so that we could expand the collective consciousness. And through that, I was able to see how I could guide other people back home to themselves, back to factory settings. or (laughs) (laughs) And that's where I just, I've become a spiritual guide in that I help other people see their worth. I like to consider myself actually like a mirror to your soul. I can see who you are down at your core and love you for who you are 
no matter what you've been through, no matter how desperate you feel about the world or yourself, I can see your wholeness and I can see your beauty and why you're needed on this planet. And so I help guide people back to that. That is an incredible gift. And so how did you first realize or when did you first realize then that you were able to channel your daughter? Like, how did that come about? How did that happen? I know, right? Everyone wishes that they could have that after somebody dies. And I never, ever considered myself a channel. I thought it was so woo and out there. But after my daughter died, I was desperate. I needed something. And I did believe, I always have believed in life after death. I've heard too many stories, near-death experiences and reincarnation stories to doubt that. And soon after she died, I went to a psychic medium who then told me that it was our soul contract that Emberly was only supposed to be here for a short while and that I was supposed to write a book with her. And I was like, how do I do that? <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so I just started what I started doing. And I think everyone can do this. I think this is not just a talent that I've been given. It's just something that everyone can tap into. Every talent is a skill set. Right. You have to practice it over time. Right. So I began automatic writing, which you've probably heard of. Every morning after my meditation, I'd just get on my laptop and I would start writing mm. and I wouldn't be quite consciously there. It'd be like in a state of theta for the mind. And I would ask questions and Emberly just, I could feel her coming through my fingertips and just giving me all the answers. It was wow, fantastic. <laughs> and then unfortunately, Brad, like when the book was finished, it took us about four months and we wrote over 200,000 words, which is a Holy ton. Holy shit. Ton. I know, right? <laughs> but I could honestly feel like, okay, mom, my job here is done. Yeah. I'll help you get the book out there and whatever. But the writing part is done. You can come back anytime, but I honestly could feel it almost like a physical wow. gift of, okay, our time, full blown time. Cause I spent yeah. a lot of time writing with her had not come to an end, but it was just like, it's not as needed now because the work is done. This right. is what we came here to do. So for me, channeling was more just becoming a, a receptacle, like just yeah. becoming, receiving the answers and just allowing them to come through my fingertips. Other people see things and hear things. I have had a lot of audible things as well. Like I can talk to her in my mind and get answers. But for me, mostly it's been through my fingertips, through automatic writing and just being in that brain state where I'm receiving and not consciously thinking, if that makes sense. Wow. And so you believe that everyone <laughs> has this ability the skill set within them. It's just a matter of them figuring out how to tap into it. 100%. I feel like every skill can be learned and some are better than others. Yes. <laughs> like some of us aren't meant to be professional basketball players. Right. Or whatever, yeah. With time and practice, you can become better. It doesn't mean that you'll be the best of the best. I'm by no means a fantastic channeler for some of these psychic mediums can hear your ancestors. Whatever. That's not my gift. Yeah. I think each of us has different gifts, but they can be developed. And Automatic writing is something everyone can do. Absolutely everyone. And you tap into, I think, your own personal reservoir of answers. And because at the core, I believe that we are all one. I believe that we are all that is. And that's my word and Emberly's word for God. And so when you're tapping into that power, we all have access to the same thing. And so can you please share the name of the book? Yeah. Can I share the story of how we got the name? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Of course you can. I would love that. that. That was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And it's crazy because we had already written the book. It had been written for over a year and I was scared to death to share it because a lot of it inside of it is very personal, very vulnerable, and also not against the religion I was growing up with, but it speaks differently. (laughs) And so I was really afraid of rejection from my community and the people I loved and speaking out 
differently than what I've been yeah. taught was the only right way and, and yes. that I could lead other people to hell. I was really worried about that. One of the things that happened after Emberly died was that I unleashed the inner artist within me and I found ways to create in ways that were beautiful and painful at the same time. But that was mm -hmm. a way of connecting with her. And one day I was working on my art food in between a double door Right. So that no light could come in and then he'd ring a bell. So I knew it was there. I was the only human interaction I had for 10 days. And so while I'm in this cave, <laughs> I went there not knowing why, but I knew that I was supposed to get the title to my book or at least have some kind of connection with Emberly. Yeah. And it took a long time. <laughs> and when you're in there, all you care about is time. It's like this ego's obsession of, is it day or night? How long, how many hours have I been meditating? Yeah. <laughs> how long do I have to sleep before my next meal? It was, it's just like a mind game. Crazy. Much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. I don't I went into our note so naive, like not knowing what to expect. <laughs> and let me just tell you right now, audience, it's not for everyone. Please don't yeah. go there unless your soul is like screaming for you to go. <laughs> let me tell you, it's a lot harder than you'd think. But anyway, it took five days and I had learned to write in the dark. I brought a spiral notebook, which was genius, so that I could turn the page and always know that I was at the top of a page that was not written on. Yeah. I was really good. It had nothing else to do. So <laughs> there you go. So I'd write a lot. But at one point, I had been thinking about the title of our book and how to make it so that people would know it's a spiritual journey. It's something that my daughter died and I was channeling her. Yeah. And it was also about deconstructing from Christianity. There's just a lot of components to it. And you also, whenever you're naming or titling a book, you want to focus on keywords or SEO, search engine optimization. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you've probably heard those words before. Yes. And we just couldn't figure out like, what are people going to search in Amazon to find a book about this, right? But Emberly had talked multiple times in the book about all that is. She is with all that is, which is our word for God, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And my editor had said, the book is really beautiful and the Emberly returns to all that is. And you, your spiritual journey is like going from here to back to all that is. She's, I can see you doing that. So why don't we think about returning to all that is? Because a lot of people in the spiritual world recognize all that is and use that term. So we're like, okay, that's pretty good. It's a good <laughs> running start. And when I'm in there, I don't know what time it was because obviously it was just dark, but Emberly came to me and she was like, mom, returning to all that is is a beautiful title, but it's not like that. You, you cannot return to all that is. You are now, you always have been and always will be an integral and necessary part of the wholeness of all that is. It's more of a remembering. So name the book, remember all that is and highlight the ember. Mm. And when you know her name and why we yes. named her Emberly, it was just one of those, oh my goodness, of course. Oh. And each of us as a soul comes to earth and we feel like an ember separate from the fire because the fire or the wholeness of all that is feels like we're separate from it. All we have to do to bring an ember back to life is put a little air and intention on it and it com comes back to full life. And that's really what the, the whole intention of this book is to help people remember who they are and come back to their wholeness. And when we help people remember all that is, that's the whole point of the book. And the whole point of my purpose, I think on earth is to help people return to that wholeness. Wow. Remembering that. That is beautiful. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing that story. That is absolutely beautiful and so powerful. Thank you. What for an incredible me. story. I love it. 
I know it's been fabulous. Like the things that have happened after she's died have been so powerful. Yeah. That I'm at the point where I'm grateful. And when I say that people are like, how could you be grateful? She died. And I'm like, I'm not grateful. She died. No, <laughs> I would take grateful. it back in a heartbeat. Yeah, of course. And it's changed my life so much for the better that it's also, maybe I wouldn't change it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Because it's one of those things like we were talking about earlier, the failures, yeah. the hardships, the trials that we go through become some of our greatest blessings and our greatest yeah. learnings. And without this hardship, I wouldn't be who I am now. I wouldn't exactly. be able to help other people become free. That's and right. I'm at that place now where because I've lived through my worst nightmare, literal worst nightmare. Actually, I didn't even tell you that in my first book, what I published in 2019, I wrote about my worst nightmare being that one of my kids would drown. I would, wow. I would then divorce my husband because of it and all these things. And I worked through it with a process I, I call fear setting, where if that did happen, this is what I would do. This is how I try to prevent it. This is how I become a victor instead of a victim. I did all that in that first book. Yeah. Before she was even born, I wrote that because yeah. I'd had this recurring nightmare. Holy And for shit. whole life, I had premonitions. And I hated them because yeah. I heard of the law of attraction and Floris Scoville Shin, who wrote the book, how to play the game of life or how to win the game of life. And she talked about how we can basically attract other people's death through our thoughts or our fear. And I just wanted to really point this out to people that Emberly has taught me in my own experience that you cannot manifest somebody else's death. If that was true, every mother's worst fear is to lose a child and yeah. all the kids would be dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If that was really true, you cannot manifest anything that is another soul, not another soul's timeline or plan. So it had been planned in our soul contract. And while I didn't want to believe it or think anything of it, and when I was blaming myself for years, I'm now to that point of so much peace and inner tranquility and love and gratitude for the experience that I don't hold any guilt or shame or feeling of blame or feeling of what if. Yeah. Sometimes they do peep up because yeah, I'm a human and I have feelings and I wouldn't change it because honestly, it's helped me so much. And the book has helped so many people that have reached out to me and said, let's change their life and help free them that who am I to rewrite history? Yeah, exactly. And this was part of your journey. You had to write this book. And unfortunately, Emberly had to go through her journey which of course affected all of you as a family, you as a mother, but yeah. none of this would have happened and you wouldn't be doing the work you're now doing to help others. And Emberly is right there beside you, helping you do that work. And, and that's what makes others. it easier. She is here. I don't feel like I'm grieving like normal people <laughs> right. because I still feel her and have conversations. That's not to say you don't miss her. It's not heartbreaking that you lost a child. Like you said, that is every no. parent's worst nightmare. You never yeah. think your child is going to go before the parent. It's I, I can't even fathom that pain because I've not experienced it. So I can't yeah. speak to how that feels, but this was part of your soul's journey. Yeah. Fortunately, you lost a child. Thing. Yeah. But, I don't even like to think of it as I lost a child because she's not lost to me. Right. I know who she is. <laughs> yeah. You know, but unfortunately, a lot of us have to go through tragedy or trial. And I think that our souls plan that so that we wake up. And so that we make changes because yeah. so many of us are unwilling to leave our comfort zone or to leave our belief systems until we're shaken to our core and have to make the change. And unfortunately I needed that. 
Yeah. I needed it multiple times. My dad died. And then my throat issue was so crazy that I almost died. And then Emberly died. And oh my goodness. Okay. Finally, I get it. The two by four on the back of the head from the universe. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and Sometimes yeah, it's that's been what it awful. Takes. It's been I'm awful sure. and I hated every minute of it. And now I'm so grateful for it. There you Drinking go. It's not easy and I don't no, wish it's it on not. anyone. It's, it's I- a very difficult road to travel. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Yeah. And I don't see, I don't think that it's ever over. I think you just, no. over time, you learn how to carry it better. That's and right. It just becomes part of your muscle. You know, your yeah. muscle powers get stronger. Yeah. And, it helps you over time be more empathic and able to love other people where they are and understand them better. And I think if we're all part of all that is, that means all of us are necessary. And when we can see into another soul and love them for who and what they are, what they contribute or what they don't contribute, (laughs) it just makes it so much more of a beautiful experience to be a human. It is. And yet grief is such a strange animal. It's so hard to navigate and we're not taught how to grieve or how to deal with grief. And people aren't taught what to say. Like when I lost my grandmother, when I lost my father, that happened within a year and a half. And people, let's be up, people say stupid shit because they don't know what to say. Yeah. What do you, and I think if we could teach people how to support others when they're going through it, I think the biggest lesson that I learned through my grieving And I'm, of course, as you said, the grieving never stops. It just, it shifts. It changes as time goes on. And like you said, we learn how to carry it a little bit better. We learn how to deal with those holes in our heart will never, ever be filled again. You can't, it may scar over, but the pain, it's still there. So like I said, the biggest lesson for me was just learning how to listen and hold space for people when they're grieving. That's the biggest piece is learning how to listen, just letting them know that you're there for them. That's it. You don't have to say anything else. You don't have to do anything else. And they'll let you know if they want you to do something. And that's the biggest lesson that I think people need to learn about helping and supporting others who are going through grief is just be there to listen. That's all. Yes. That's all. And and not project your own pain or your perceived pain or what you would feel if that happened to you or your beliefs on other people. (laughs) So many of us try to console other people with, this is what I believe. So this must be what they believe. Or this is how I feel. I think this is how I would feel. The curious thing to me is I've talked with multiple people who have lost children and this underlying common denominator with every single one of us is that most of our friends are there for us right when it happens but as soon as the flowers start to die and fade they disappear 100 they're not there over the long haul and the people that you think that would support you the most and be there for you aren't yeah (laughs) and it's a very lonely road unfortunately i had to deal with leaving my religion of 38 years yeah a year later my daughter died and covid happened all in the same year and covid was very isolating yeah so many of us had really hard time not being able to see people and be social and being isolated from my own community and leaving them hardest thing I've ever done. And then losing a child in the same year. <laughs> That's like, a lot. That's a hell of a lot. Like trifecta of loneliness yeah. and just grief and just feeling all the feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's been really eye opening to me to see who has been there for me and who continues to be there for me, which is very small. My inner circle is very small now and that's okay. I'd rather have it be small and awesome than open. To everyone and- and- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think grief, that's one lesson we learned through grief is who our true friends 
and support system is. That is a telltale thing through grief because you're right. We learn who's there for us. And you're right. After all the hullabaloo and all of the things, like the immediate stuff that goes on when you lose someone, the funeral, all that stuff. Once all that is done and all the, like you said, all the flowers have died, everyone just disappears. And that's when people need some support the most, the absolute most, because that's when they're most alone because everyone just goes back to their lives and forgets about what this person's been through and that's it. And it's tough. It is such a hard road to walk. It really is. Yeah, it is. And it's not something I wish on anyone. And yet I also think that so many of us have to do that in -hmm. order to get to the other side. (laughs) Like you said, we learn learn who our support system are, who our friends are, and we learn a lot about ourselves through that process, which is important. It's it's a big lesson. And unfortunately, we all have to go through it at some point in our lives. We're all going to lose people because we're all growing older. And unfortunately, that's that's part of the, the circle of life. Yeah. And I think one of the things that us as humans in general hate the most is change. Oh, yes. And yet when you look at life and you think everything is changing all the time, it's all temporary. Yeah. Everything, our feelings that we think that we're always going to feel this way. Yeah. Even if it's the blissed out, happiest state of mind or the lowest of low, not even wanting to be on the planet anymore. Those feelings are all temporary. And when we give them space within our body and with our conscious awareness and allow them to be there, they feel so much shorter even. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Especially with the pain part, grieving. What I've learned so many times over and over is that in order to heal, you have to feel. And sometimes those feelings that we least are the ones that just need to be accepted and heard and seen. And when they are, they transmute instantly. Like within 90 seconds, most of the time is how much time it takes you to actually feel an actual emotion or feeling that's coming through your body. And if you can give it the 90 seconds, (laughs) it'll go away (laughs) or it'll just change. I, I heard recently this quote that I love, when you learn how to suffer, you suffer less. And I think it's just a beautiful thing. If you can learn how to allow all those feelings and not judge them or repress them or suppress them or put them under a rug or numb from them, they become part of your healing journey. Absolutely. 100%. I agree with you. Nicole, what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? Hmm. Just helping other people recognize their wholeness and see the beauty that they are is such a beautiful experience to see them have that aha moment. Because I know for me, that was what lit me up the most for finally recognizing my own worth and my own beauty and my own uniqueness and how it contributes to the whole. And when I can help other people get back to that place, it's just awe-inspiring. It is. It's so powerful to see transformation unfold right before your very eyes. It's one of the most powerful experiences, I think, in life. Yeah, it really is. It's a beautiful thing. So I want to speak a little bit about your author journey and the books that you've written. First of all, it was writing something that was always part of your path and who you were. And when did you first start writing? laugh because no nope it was never part of my path never thought I was a good writer I did well in English but like never was like one of those people that teachers were like oh you're writing so good <laughs> it was always come back with red marks all over the place and so I believed it was like one of those things where you perceive because there's so much red I'm horrible at writing right 
it wasn't until I started my self-development journey and had learned so much. I'd been doing it from 2016 until I published in 2019. I read so many books and listened to thousands of hours of trainings and coaching and so many things. I had learned so much that I knew that I could help other people by sharing it. So I started writing then. And my first edition of my book, Brad, was so bad. So bad. It was like everything in the kitchen sink and it had no coherent theme. It was just like everything that I had learned just spewed out into a book, right? And I was so proud of it. And I sent it to six different people who would be my beta readers. And only two of them got back to me. It was my brother and my brother-in-law. <laughs> And both of them said, please don't ever write a book. <laughs> wow. They're brutal. And if I had listened to them, I wouldn't have two best-selling books now. But they did teach me that the way that my book was the first time was not okay. Not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not readable. <laughs> it's like everything. I had to fail forward. And yeah, yeah. It, hurt. it hurt to get that feedback. I'm so glad they told me the honest truth. And it was yeah, like... Because you know what? You think of it. Family usually won't tell you the truth. They'll... T oh, yeah, yeah. This is pretty good. You know, I'll show your code in. Friends and family will usually do that. Yeah, and if I had published that how it was, it would have been an embarrassment to all to all writers. How could that even be possible to, to publish? <laughs> However, it was a fascinating experience, my first book, because after that, it probably took me five or six months. I just put it on the back burner. I was like, nah, maybe writing's not for me. I'll just continue with my life, whatever. And I put it on the back burner, and I was pregnant then with Emberly, hugely pregnant. And I remember distinctly waking up one night in the middle of the night, September, it was probably three months before she was born with the worst heartburn and so many thoughts going through my mind. Like so many thoughts. I was like, okay, I just got to get up and start writing. Yeah. It gave me in that one night, I had the entire outline. I could use all the things that I'd already written, but I had an outline and it was cohesive and it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> And it all just flew through me. I woke up at 11 p.m. that night. Woke up meaning I'd been asleep for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I typed until the next day at 3 p.m. And I had the whole book done. Holy shit. It just poured it was, out of you. It was insane how it happened. But so cool at the same time. I already had most of it written. I yeah. just didn't have a format. And it didn't make right. sense. So once I knew that I wanted to do 10 things that you could do in 10 minutes or less... That makes it so much easier to organize and put it in right. 10 different chapters and add this writing that I had over here in this book and, and bring it over. And yeah, it took me less than 24 hours and then it was done. Holy and I sent it off to an editor and they were like, this is great. And <laughs> wow. I was like, what? Yeah, that's how my life has been. It's like in the right time and when you're under the right mindset, I guess. It just flows through you. And the second book, like I said, it was in four months. Every morning I'd wake up and meditate and then automatically it was not something that I thought about. I didn't have any plan. I had mm -hmm. no idea what the book was going to be about. But every day I'd had different questions. Like some yeah. days I'd ask about parenting. Some days I'd ask about religion. Some days I'd ask about politics. All the things that most people want to know about. Yeah. And if you had a higher power or somebody to connect to and give you all yeah. the answers, I'm going to ask you. you know? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's why it goes really deep. <laughs> and a lot of times in that book, which is fascinating, I repeat a lot of the same questions, a lot of the same issues, because I've had a lot of chronic pain and and illness. We talk about pain a ton, but she would answer my questions. And then I don't know, like a month later, I'd ask the same thing or a different mm. way. And she'd give a different answer for the same thing to really hone it in. And I think repetition okay. really helps it 
increase yeah. their ability to understand something or maybe just hearing it from a different way. So a lot of the themes in there are repeated, but in such a way that really helps somebody to learn the lesson. So beautiful. that was a fantastic wow. experience as well. So are there any plans for a third book? Are you working on anything? No, but I never no? planned the other two either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe over would time. You, would you like to write a third book though? Have you thought about it at all? Not yet. No, no? but okay. I just published my second one in December, so it's not been very long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask absolutely. me a few years from now and maybe I'll have it. For I don't sure. know. <laughs> Pop sure. one out every couple of years just like yeah. this. <laughs> 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 you got to give it time, Brad. You know, yes. after you have a baby, you don't ask when you're getting pregnant that's, again. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Last thing yeah. on a mom's mind. <laughs> Birthing another book. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Understood. Nicole, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I would say my positivity. I am able to turn anything. I feel like an alchemist in that I can turn anything into something positive. And that's not something that's always served me well because other people get annoyed by that. But right. I do think that it's a superpower in that I can find the good in anything, in anyone. Beautiful. And people don't like that, but I do. I think, I, I think it's an awesome superpower to have. Absolutely. Of course, because yeah. life is tough. So if you can flip that script or flip that narrative and see the good in it and take the lessons from it, as we said, with failure, all of these things, that's what it's about is finding the silver lining in every situation that we experience. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful skill set and superpower, Nicole. Thank you. Yeah, I heard something called the hindsight window. I heard some speaker and I can't find it for the life of me. I wish I could, but I heard it like five or six years ago and it changed my life. And he talked about how so many people say hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back in hindsight, I'm glad that happened or whatever. And most people it takes years and years, sometimes even a lifetime to get to that point where you look back and you're grateful for those things that happened way back then. But he said you can shorten the hindsight window by simply in the moment you're being triggered, you're being robbed, you're having something horrible happen in that moment, you can immediately go to the future and say, what will I want to be grateful for in this moment years from now? Does it really matter? Yeah. Is it going to matter five days from now? Is it going to matter 10 years from now? And if you can shorten that gap between the hindsight window of gaining the 2020 of what yeah. I can learn from this experience and do it right now in the moment, nothing matters. Yeah. And everything matters. <laughs> it's like, you can transmute anything and turn it into gold by recognizing, oh, this isn't as life-changing as I'm trying to make it out to be. And I've come to the point where my triggers are some of my best friends. I'm so grateful when I get triggered because it just reflects to me something within that I can heal. And they don't come as often anymore, like hardly ever. Mm -hmm. And so when I am I'm triggered, I'm like, oh, yay, another thing I can dig deeper another in. Lesson. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love them. And most people don't like being triggered, but I'm like, yeah. bring it on. <laughs> a great way to look at it. Again, it's about a mindset and perspective shift and thinking about things differently, looking at things differently. It's all to help you get through this thing called life that we're all going through. Yeah. And I, I think it. that we come here on earth to experience. We're here to experience things, not to achieve, no. not to become something, not to succeed. We're here to experience it all. We want at soul level, Emberly told me this a lot in the book, is that it's like watching a movie or reading a book. Everyone has to have that hero's journey. Yeah. And so before we come here, we plan hard things into our lives. We plan abuse and neglect or, or death. Rejection, or all of the things. Horrible things. 
that as soul, as humans and conscious humans, we're like, no way, I would have never chosen that. Yeah. But the souls were like, no, that's the fun of it. We get really yeah. excited when we're about to go through a, a journey and go to the lowest lows because the lower you can go, the higher you can go. Yeah. It's like this, this journey of just really being allowed to experience all the feelings because especially as souls, we, when we're with permanently all that is, it can get boring. When you're always in a state of bliss and love, there's just no excitement. There's so no appreciation it. for the highs if you're not experiencing the lows. Yeah, there's you no take them for granted. There's no, yeah, there's no appreciation for the happiness if there's no sadness. You have to go through both. Exactly. You have to go through it all. It's a roller coaster, right? You have to experience the lows and you know what? To appreciate she the highs. Exactly. She actually said that coming to Earth for souls is like the Disneyland of the universe. We come here, and if you think about going to Disneyland, everyone looks forward to it. They think it's yeah. so wonderful and great. But when you get there, you have to wait in long lines yeah. to experience just a yeah. few minutes, like sometimes hours to experience yes. a few minutes of joy. Yeah, And that's exactly how it is for our souls coming to Earth. We come here and we experience long periods of suffering and pain and whatever for that few moments of, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I would do it all again in a heartbeat. Go back, stand in line again for another few hours. And we do it again and yeah. again. And the same thing with haunted houses yeah. and horror movies. We sign up for these things because yes. we like being scared. We yeah. like having fear. And that's something our souls crave. When yeah. they come to earth, they're like, let's make it scary. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Nicole, how do you define success? What does that word mean to you? I had a recent experience with this, actually. And if you would have asked me that a few months ago, I would have given you a completely different answer. Our world is so wrapped up in seeking achievement and money and followers and likes and comments and fame. And when I really dug into my soul and felt finally the only thing that's like game over in life, when you've really won the game of life, is when you've remembered who you are. That's success wow. to me doesn't matter how much money you make. If you never make another dime in your life, if I never sell a piece of art or another book, as long as I can remember who I am and step into that and be and just radiate my personal perspective of the world unapologetically, that's it. That's game over. I've succeeded. I win the Love game of it. life. What would you say is the most important thing you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? That I'm enough. And so are you. When you're in this state of I'm not enough and when you feel like you have to prove yourself and you're constantly fighting, seeking more, the need to succeed, <laughs> the need to achieve, you're constantly in this rat race. And when you step out and say, oh my goodness, I already have all the answers within. I'm good enough already. I came with all the answers. Back to that factory settings, nothing else matters. And you just, you can come to a place of I can give and not even care if people love it or hate it. I can show up as me and if they reject me, that's fine. They're just not my people and that's fine. They're just not ready for what I have to say and it doesn't affect me anymore. So coming from a place of being in so much fear of how will I be perceived? People are going to hate me if I publish this book. They're going to reject me to now. I don't really care what you think of me because <laughs> yeah. I love me. I got my own back and I don't need your approval because yeah. I know deep down we're all one. We're all just reflections of each other. So it's just a beautiful, such a beautiful shift when you can step into your own power and not care. <laughs> and your people will find you. They will resonate with that book or that piece of art or whatever it is that you're doing. There is always going to be somebody out there who will find it and resonate with it and enjoy it for what it is. And that's where you got to keep in your mind that you will find your people. 
and they will find you. And we are not meant for everybody and everybody is not meant for us. And that's exactly. And if you it. think of any leader, any thought leader, religious leader, whatever, through the history of time, any food, even Brad, what's your favorite hamburger? You ask anybody, there's going to be a myriad of answers. Yeah. That's so many yeah. different opinions out there. For sure. So to think that one person is for everyone, it's just not going to happen ever. No, nobody has possible. had all the votes ever. No, it's <laughs> so not possible. Find your people by being you and stop trying to sugarcoat it or change to conform or fit in because then like, you're playing small. You're reducing yourself. Yeah, you are. And I feel like we're all puzzle pieces to the one big, huge puzzle. And if we're trying to change the color of our piece, we're trying to change the size, be skinnier, fit in better, we're not going to fit in. We're always going to feel like we don't fit into our own skin if we're trying to do it for other people. But we fit when we really embody, oh, mine has all these colors. (laughs) (laughs) Like my shirt right now. (laughs) My head is bigger than yours because (laughs) like somebody that walks around thinking that they have too big of a head or too big of ears or too big of nose. If you can just embrace that and say, oh, this is a gift that is only mine. Nobody else has that. I fit into the puzzle because of my unique aspects. Love it. Awesome. So life-changing. It is for sure. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Embodying self-love. Just really radiating. You feel empowered when you know that you've got your own back. I'm repeating the same message over and over, but it really is the most important thing anybody can do is remember who they are. Beautiful. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I think I already said it, but Emberly's death... I'm grateful. I wouldn't want it to happen again. And I certainly don't want it to happen to any of my other children. And it's blessed me so much. And I know that she's still here, that it's just something I'm so grateful for that I can help other people through it. Beautiful. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Emberly. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I'm like a <laughs> repeat record here, but yeah, she's changed me in every single way possible. And I couldn't be more grateful for her. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing, okay? Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Happy. What is your favorite self-care practice? Meditation. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Love yourself. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Love. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My personality. What never fails to make you laugh? Me. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that answer. As I I laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year, Nicole? That I can withstand anything. I'm resilient. And I didn't know that before. I always thought I was weak. And that when I speak my truth, I feel better about myself rather than more scared. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? That failure is a good thing. You need it. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Like a living woman? Doesn't matter. Either or. Whichever. It's up to you. I'd love to speak with my grandma. She died when I was eight. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Love yourself. (laughs) Stop worrying about what other people think and step into your own opinion of yourself. That's all that matters. 
Yeah. And you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> Lastly, Nicole, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Remember who you are and give yourself credit for how far you've come. You've made it so far and you've gone through so much and it's all for your benefit and for your learning and growth. And don't take it for granted. Look back and give yourself credit and see who you are now and know that you are more than enough and you are lovable and accepted exactly the way you are right now. Beautiful. Nicole, thank you so much. This conversation has been incredible full of laughter and inspiration and all of the things. You're a beautiful human being, woman, and soul. I appreciate you making and taking the time to be here with me today and for taking me on your journey through your story and your life. I appreciate you. I am so grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you so much for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and onto me as well. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you for letting me and thank you for having this podcast and this community. It's a beautiful thing, Brad. Your light is shining bright as well. And I really appreciate you allowing me to come and share my story. Thank so, you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Nicole Clark. She is a best-selling author, a spiritual guide, and last but certainly not least, a mama. Nicole, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.